Study JFC. Glad you're here. On your seat, you'll find the notes for today. If you want to grab those, we're going to begin a brand new series called Always and Forever. And it's just a short uh, series on marriage. Real quickly, uh, just to identify our audience, how many married people here today? How many wish they were married? Good, yes. All right, Katie and JJ. <laughs> So a year from now, I still want you to raise your hand. Still be in that position. Good. Always, uh, always good to know uh, your audience. And uh, we recognize that there are people at each of our campuses, obviously, who, uh, who when they hear the title might think to themselves, hey, is this really for me? Can I get anything out of it? So just a couple of thoughts. Uh, first, the obvious, if you're not married but you want to be married, then here's a great, um, I can't recommend any more high to, uh, to spend your time learning as much as you can about marriage. Uh, obviously, put yourself down the road as far as you can. One of the things that we believe in, premarital counseling, and we require that everyone that, uh, that comes through JFC to be married goes through our premarital counseling. And the reason that that's important, our idea here is that we want every one of those couples to be as far down the road as they possibly can be. What we have learned and what we have found is that regardless of age, and, and this is true too, even if it's not your first marriage, uh, every, every couple, I don't know any couple, every couple falls into uh, the situation of there are just some common denominators that every marriage has to work through and be able to know how to handle. And if you know how to do those things, well, then your opportunity to be successful goes up astronomically. If you don't know how to do those things, then I will just tell you right now, it does not matter whether you're a believer or not, uh, you simply are going to reduce whether or not your, uh, your marriage is going to make it. Now, I know a lot of believers go, well, we're going to make it no matter what. We've promised each other. That's wonderful. But being married is not just a commitment. It's being married in love with the commitment. That's, that's what God wants from us. He wants the emotions there, not just two people doing business as but it's two people who are passionately in love with each other and committed. So, uh, again, what a great way for you to, uh, if you want to be married, to learn. If you are married, to strengthen it. And last but not least, let's just say that you fall outside of those two categories. Uh, what about me, Pastor? I'm still going to teach from the Bible. Uh, God still wrote it knowing that not everyone who heard it was going to be married. So uh, it's still truth, and it's still something that can be applied in your life. Who knows? Maybe you'll be a counselor and can help somebody else who is, uh, who's already married. So in your notes right off the top here, I want to welcome all JFC, all of our campuses, not just here at Lone Tree, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, and those who will be listening uh, remotely later on. Welcome and glad you are a part of the bigger JFC family. Here's what this uh, series is about. When we were planning it, the, um, uh, the planning team looked at it and we got together and we said to ourselves, okay, everybody does uh, marriage conferences, marriage teaching, um, all good. We've done it several times. Is there any new uh, angle that the Lord would have us look at, talk about, or teach on that we haven't done before? I think we found one. We're going to teach on the seasons of marriage. I know you're sitting there thinking, uh, maybe I've heard that before. You, you mean like spring, winter, summer, fall. Uh, you try to reduce it then to the age of people or how long somebody's been married or how short. No, that's not it at all. We're going to talk about the seasons that every marriage finds itself in. And again, the idea of if you have these tools, you can do really well. If you don't have these tools, you're going to struggle. And, and that's, that's what this is. We don't want you to struggle. We want you to be successful. Text that we're going to use is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, just for 
uh, knowledge. I'm sure that most recognize this, but it's really important to me to say it. The wisest man who ever lived wrote these words. So right off the bat, would you agree that if the wisest man who ever lived wrote it, it might be important? Maybe there's something here for us to learn. So Solomon in Ecclesiastes uh, 3.1 wrote these words to everything. In fact, let's read it together. Count of three. One, two, three. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. So the word everything and every is all inclusive. So that means that there is a time and a season for your marriage. In other words, your marriage goes through seasons. God has preordained the idea and the thought that uh, things are seasonal in this world and things have a shelf life. How about that? Marriages have a shelf life. What's the shelf life of a marriage? Some of you here think that it's only about two years. That's incorrect. Uh, The shelf life of a marriage is that it's supposed to be for this whole life. And then when we go to heaven, it's a different situation. But it still speaks of a season. There is a start and there is a finish. And inside of that are going to be seasons. And that's what we're trying to teach uh, with, with this series right here. So um, I put down in Ecclesiastes 3, 1, everything, there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. Uh, under transition, seasons end and seasons begin. If you are a Colorado Rockies fan, aren't you glad <laughs> about that right now? That, that, I cannot wait for this season to be over. Our, our son. Our special needs son is one of the biggest Rockies fans in the world. He eats, he breathes, he sleeps, lives for, well, for, for Colorado sports, but right now it's the Rockies. On his birthday, we were going to take him to see the Rockies. That's what he wanted. But they are playing so bad, he said, please don't take me to the Rockies. <laughs> it was almost like he, anything but that. In fact, he said, I'd rather go to Casa Bonita. <laughs> There's a comparison. That you know, you know you have sunk to the low (laughs) when you'd rather go to Casa Bonita than watch the Rockies. If we've got any Rockies players here, we like you (laughs) personally. How about that? Personally. All right. So I just put in there um, the idea that seasons end, seasons begin. Here's what's really important with that. To, To be wise and to be able to handle um, um, your marriage, how about this, this statement? You need to discern the season that you're in in your marriage. If it would be, I, I thought in the natural, let me just put it to you this way, if you can't discern what season you're in in the natural, um, you'll be really uncomfortable. For instance, when it's summer, you don't dress like it's winter. Only a foolish person wouldn't discern the season that they're in. So if you were to put on your winter coat on a 90-degree day, a day like we're having, you know, right now during the season, man, you would be uncomfortable. You would look out of sorts. It would be weird. Okay, so the Bible then teaches the idea that we have seasons. If you can't discern the season that you're in, you're going to make mistakes. A person who can discern the season that they're in knows how to operate, knows what to do, knows, knows what it's supposed to look like. Does that make sense? And so in your marriage, it's the same idea. Just connect those thoughts right there. You've got to discern the season that you're in. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, Daniel uh, prophetically wrote these words, and I love this. He, this is a reference to God, so let me just put God in it. God changes the times and the seasons. So allow me to say this prophetically. I believe we're speaking on this subject right now because God wants to bring a new season to your marriage. No, again, God wants to bring a new season to your marriage. 
Now, listen, if you're in a bad season, you go, amen, can't wait. Let's say that the majority of you are in a really good season. Wouldn't it be wonderful to know that God has something even greater for you? He's got something new for you to explore, new to find out, new to learn about. And I just love this statement right here. How about this? This tells us the devil is not in charge of the season in your life. The world is not in charge of the season in your life. Your boss and your circumstance are not in charge of the season of your life. God is in charge of the season of your life. And I, man, I love this. He changes the times and the seasons. I believe prophetically, I am telling you, I give this to you as my word. Think about how often I say or don't say something like this. I respect the words. So as I say it, listen, I'm not just up going, thus says the Lord. I rarely ever say that. But as I wrote this message, I felt the Lord tell me, pronounce a new season on the marriages of the people who will hear this. You're coming into a new season. And the sense that I had was not, don't be afraid. What what kind of a season? The sense that I had, it's a season of God's blessing on your life. A season for you to go to a new place and to do a new thing. So I put down, here's what, what, when we're talking about seasons of a marriage, here's the season that I felt like, number one, we, this is what I think God is pronouncing when seasons and times change. I think the season that God is bringing us into right now, the season of getting unstuck. Unstuck. Here's what I know. Take marriage out of it. Let's just talk every person who hears my voice right now. Regardless of where you are in life, from time to time, we all get stuck. Some people would call it a plateau. Some people would call it high-centered. Some people would just call it, uh, you know, I, I just, it just seems like I'm, I'm, I'm in this place and I don't know how to get out of it, whatever. Um, here's what I'm pronouncing on you. God is saying it's a season to get unstuck, to go higher, to achieve what you want and what God has spoken to you about your life and in particular about your marriage. Okay, I wrote this then underneath that statement that it's the season of getting unstuck. Number one, no one starts out to get stuck. Do you agree with that? I never had anybody ever come to me and say, we want to get married because we want to have a tough time. <laughs> Nobody ever thinks that way. Nobody ever, that's ne- everybody who gets married wants to do well. So no one ever starts out to get stuck, but everyone has a stuck story. <laughs> everyone has a stuck story. I, if you talk to anyone who drives a car, ask them, have you ever been stuck? As, as you think right now, a stuck story will come to you. Let me give you this, this, I just want to use this as an analogy that we get stuck in the natural, but it also relates to the idea of, of spiritual issues and in our marriages. And there are two kinds of stuck. So let me go through it real quick. The first stuck is when you are really stuck. I, uh, I, when Chris and I were dating, I met her, I was 17, she was 16. We were both in high school. We moved to Lakewood. Chris grew up there. She went to Bear Creek. I went to Green Mountain. We met each other at a church. We began to date. I had a 72 Ford Maverick. For those who can, some of you, you weren't even born then. So let me just tell you, it was one of the coolest cars. No, it was not. It was a terrible car. And I paid $80. $80 for the car. Can you imagine what an $80 car looked like? In order to get heat out of it, I took a a metal tube from a vacuum cleaner and I had jammed it through the floorboard in the car and I could turn it 
and it would allow heat to come through the pipe, and I could turn it to shut the heat. That's how we got heat in the car. Was a, imagine how you would drive an $80 car. I was hard on that car. And one night, Chris had a curfew, and I, I, I respected her, cur- her curfew, and here's why, because I feared her father. Her dad was, he, he was, you could, he's, a, he's an easygoing, um, just a, a gentleman, great sense of humor, but you didn't mess with his kids. That's one thing you just didn't. His family, he, he is like a mama bear when it comes to his family. Man, you don't mess with his family. And so I did not want to be late for the curfew. And, and for those who know the area, I was, I was running from over Green Mountain, literally over Green Mountain, trying to get her home. And she said, John, the, the roads aren't connected uh, to do this. And I said, this car can make it through anything. And I, we came to the end of the road, and there was about a 500-yard space from where this road ended to where I knew the new road began going into her neighborhood, and I knew I could get her home in time, and I took off. And I had enough momentum, okay? I had enough momentum to get about 100 yards out of the 500 yards. And then the tires began to really spin, and the car was bouncing and bogging up and down. And pretty soon, man, we hit the bottom of the car, hit, it just sunk, and I was rocking the car, drive, reverse, drive, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it was just spinning. I put Chris in the driver's seat. I get out and try to push. It's like one of those things you see on, on those, those video shows. The hundred, we would have won $100,000. Because while I'm pushing, the mud kicks up, <laughs> covers me, you know, and she doesn't know. So she's just flooring. I'm just standing there while the mud is shooting <laughs> up on me. And there was no place to run, no place to hide. It is covering me. I come to the front of the car. Now, and we've, now that caused it to sink even further. So while I'm out, it was one of those muds that you get out, you step in, and your shoe gets stuck in the mud. You ever done that? You can't get out. So Chris, I told her, don't even get out of the car. We'll, we'll never get out. All right, they don't have cell phones. I know some of you are like, just call. There, there are no cell phones. We are in a remote place. We were stuck, stuck. And I'm just trying to think, how am I going to tell her father what happened in this situation right here? Then I'm thinking, how am I going to get us out of here? Look, look, this was, it was a miracle. A guy in an old Bronco comes tooling out of the middle, four-wheel drive, tooling along, pulls up. He goes, hey, do you need help? I said, man, we need help. This guy put a chain on the car and he pulled us. Listen to me. He couldn't just pull us out of the rut we were in because we just would get stuck again. He chained us up and he pulled us for about 400 yards up to the road. And once we got to the road, we could get going again. But we needed serious help. It was not enough just to push us. We needed to be guided to where we could go on our own. Does that make sense? Okay, one more stuck story to describe the difference between being stuck and just being in a little bit of a jam. Um, just not, not too long ago, and I, I've told this story before, um, it was a Sunday after I got done teaching, I had gone home. Normally, I am brain dead on Sunday afternoon. But Chris needed something from the store. It was a snowy day. Um, I had on my shorts. I had on a t-shirt. I, I was just going to run in, run out. I had on just these little um, slipper-like shoes. I mean, they weren't even like tennis shoes. I'm going to the store, uh, pretty good snowstorm going on. I get real close to the King Supers, and I see a woman, not that far in front of me, slide off the road and into a snowbank. And as I'm driving by, the thought occurred to me, stop and help her. And I thought that as I drove right by. And instead, I just put my hand out and prayed for her. Lord, help that woman. Bring somebody along. 
You ever done it? Bring somebody along. As soon as I prayed that, I knew, okay, it's going to stop. So I, I turn around. I come back. By the time I turn around, a guy was already there. And the guy was talking to her. And I walked up. And here's what the guy was doing. The guy was trying to give her a driving lesson. <laughs> Do you know how frustrating? She doesn't know him. And he's going to give her a driving lesson. This is what I just said. Why don't we just give her a quick push? So we both went to the front of the car. We just, we didn't hardly do anything. We just pushed her enough where the front tire caught. She backed out and off she went. She just waved at us and off she went. Okay, listen, here's an analogy. Sometimes in life, and especially in your marriage, you get so stuck that a push won't help you. You get so stuck that you need someone to come alongside of you and lead you out of it. It's not enough to just push you and get you back on your way. You have to be brought to a place, listen, you have to be brought to a place where you can then take off, but you have to be led to that place. And then there are times in marriage where you get stuck and you don't need someone to lead you, you just need someone to help you get unstuck. Does that make sense? So, so what's the difference between the two? All right, here's what I found out in 26 years of ministry. Women always tend to think we are really stuck, stuck. And we need someone to come alongside of us and walk with us for a long time to get us. And really what they're saying is, my husband is really stuck, stuck, and needs someone to come alongside and help him. Men tend to, not always, but men tend to think, we don't need big help. We just need someone to come along and push us. It was an accident we got here anyway, and I'm sure if we just get out of this little thing, we'll be okay. What's the truth? Somewhere in between those two things is how you have to begin going. So if I was going to say to you, what are we trying to teach for this morning? I know that some of you are going to say, man, we really are stuck, stuck. And maybe when I teach this, you will come to the conclusion, somebody's got to come alongside of us and get us to a place where we can do this successfully. Some of you are going to hear this and it's going to dawn on you. The message is going to be enough to get you going again. Does that make sense? The message is going to be enough to get you going again. How do I diagnose it? When I'm done with the message, after you hear the four weeks of the series, ask yourself this question. Are we moving forward into the next season? Or are we still, are we still talking about the same thing that we were four weeks ago? Does that make sense? And if you are, then here's what you do. You contact us. You call us. Let us come alongside. Let us hook you up and get you out of that place. Who would you call? Call Dan DeMay at home. <laughs> call the church office. We'll help you out. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Peter gives a thought and an idea of what it's like when a marriage gets stuck. Look at this. Peter writes, Tell spouses how to treat each other so that your prayers won't be hindered. Is another word for hindered stuck, yes or no? Did you hear that? Okay, here's Peter writing to couples. That's the context. Look at this idea right here. Tell spouses how to treat each other so that your prayers won't be stuck any longer. This message is going to talk about, this series is going to talk about how to treat each other so that you're not stuck. 
There are two ways that we learn anything. You've probably heard me say this if you're a pastor at this church, if you're in leadership. I teach this often. Two ways that we learn anything, mistakes and mentors. Do you agree with that? We learn by mistakes. We try something and we fail, and hopefully we've learned from that. You agree? Uh, can I ask you a question? If we learn two ways, mentors and mistakes, which way do you want to learn if you get to choose? Sure. What does a mentor teach? Their mistakes. So if you can learn, learn from somebody else's mistakes. Don't learn from you having to do it. Okay, when we teach this, it's the opportunity for you not to have to do your own mistake. You can learn from a mentor. Here's what I want to talk to you about, how to get unstuck. A Wall Street Journal article on the 24th of July this year. Here was the title, The Divorcee's Guide to Marriage. The Divorcee's Guide to Marriage. Does anybody get that right there? Wow. Yeah, wow, Look, such life coming from my people here. Let me try again. <laughs> the Divorcee's Guide to Marriage. It just, I, I mean, come on. It's like a jumbo shrimp. Give me a break here. <laughs> clean, clean dirt. The Divorcee's Guide to Marriage. Here, here was the context. Guy had done a 25-year study with 373 couples. A 25-year study does give some kind of credence to the information that he found. You can do a study on marriage, but if you do it over a one or two day, you know, answer some questions, you probably aren't getting that deep. 25 years walking with a couple does give you some depth in the answers. That's what appealed to me. What was it that people who had been followed for 25 years, what would they say about what makes a successful marriage? Here were three, the top three things that they listed that make for a good marriage. Now listen, these were mistakes they made. We learned two ways, mentors and mistakes. These were mistakes these people made. Here's an interesting fact. Of the 373 couple, 46% during the 25 years got divorced. That goes along the, the statement that 50% of people divorce. I mean, that's almost right there. 46% of the 373 couples during the 25 years got divorced. So those 373 couples, here were the top three things they said they should have done or that they do in order to keep their marriages going. Number one, boost your spouse's mood. Now remember, this isn't biblical. This comes from 373 couples some may have been believers, some may have not been believers. We, that, that was not the prerequisite. It was just over 25 years. What worked and what didn't work? So here was the three things that they said. Number one, boost your spouse's mood. Let me interpret that for you. What that means is do something every day to show appreciation for your spouse. If you're married, you should be doing something every day to show appreciation. It can be the simple thing like, I love you. If you're not saying the words out loud every day, I love you, you're missing an incredible opportunity to boost your spouse's mood. How about this? If you're going to be married, you do want to be married to somebody in a good mood. If you marry somebody and they are in a perpetual bad mood, rather than going, I've got to trade this model in, maybe beginning, are you doing anything that's causing it? Are you doing, here's what I know. We deal with people who have been married, not, there are some, they've been married multiple times. 
And what I have learned from dealing with those people is the mentality sometimes is it's, it's you. If I could just get rid of you, then it'll be fixed. And here's what I know. Then they marry someone else. And if you don't know how to take care of the problem, that person's problem follows you into the new marriage. And then you take, it's, you just start trading in. That's not the answer. The answer is learning how to make it last with the one that you're with. So I, let me just be honest. If you're divorced and remarried, make this one the last one. Fair statement? Be in it for life. Boost your spouse's mood. Do something every day to show appreciation. Say, I love you. Comment about how they look. Do I need to? I don't think so. so if some of you are saying, do you need to what? How they look in a good way. Right? <laughs> some men just heard that and they're like, oh, I can do that. I do that now. I got, got you covered. No, you don't. I don't know if you do or not. Here's, listen, I'll, I'll tell you one. This is just for my marriage, but it's what I've learned being married coming up on almost 30 years. My wife loves foot rubs. Lo yes. <laughs> so almost every night, not every night, but almost every night, I rub her feet. And she loves, it boosts her mood. Most of the time, it boosts it right into sleep. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. It just, it's usually at nighttime when we're getting ready to go to bed, and I'll rub her feet, and she loves that. It boosts her mood, or just making the comment that she is the most beautiful person that I know. Telling her that I am so lucky she chose me. Telling her all of the things that I mean from my heart. They're not things that I'm just making up. But when you tell, you can feel that way, but unless you vocalize it, it doesn't really matter. I'll give you the second one. Here's what they said, the Divorcee's Guide to Marriage. Remember, 373 couples over a 25-year period. Boost your spouse's mood. Number two, get over the past. Here was a, a uh, number that I thought was interesting. 46% of the couples in the study divorced. Here was the common denominator of their divorce. 46%, one thing that they all had in common of why they divorced, they were bitter towards their spouse. What were they bitter about? All sorts of different things. Every marriage has its issues. Anybody in here married more than 10 years? Raise your hand. More than 10 years, more than 20 years. Okay, a few of us, here's the deal. What you were dealing with at 10 years and what you're dealing with with 20 years, hey, it can change, it can stay the same. Bottom line, bottom line, if you don't deal with it, you can become very angry over it, yes or no? Yep. And when that anger stays long enough in your life, it becomes bitter, and here's what I know. Once a person is bitter, you, counseling, is, counseling is very rare to be able to pull somebody out of that state. You have to do surgery with the Holy Spirit at that point. The best way to deal with it is to forgive early, to forgive easily, to forgive quickly. Deal with stuff. Don't sweep it under the carpet. Don't ignore it. Don't act like it's not there. Deal with the stuff so it doesn't turn into bitterness. Bitterness, when people are bitter, they will make the statement like this, I don't love this person anymore. Oftentimes, I, I teach, oh, love is not an emotion, but it does have emotions with it. 
Love is a choice. But as I said in the very beginning of this message, God does not want you to be married and just have the commitment part. God wants you to be committed and passionate. So how do you do the Man, when someone offends you, you cannot have two people live together and someone not get offended. It doesn't work that way. Paul said this, married people will have trouble in this life. That's a reality. So if we're going to have trouble, then the thing to learn to do is not how to avoid trouble, it's how to deal with trouble. And one of the best ways to deal with it, forgive, let things go, deal with issues, be repentive. Yeah. Makes sense? Don't, don't know if, if, if you get, sometimes when we are offended and we, and we get bitter, then someone tells us this, we just get more offended. We just become more bitter. I'm not trying to talk down to you or to, to say what you're going through isn't important or it's not justified, but I am trying to say the way out of it is to forgive. And the person doing it, of course, they need to repent. Boy. Let me give you the third one. The Divorce Aid's Guide to Marriage. Number one, boost your spouse's mood. Number two, get over the past, forgive, let go. Number three, reveal more about yourself. What does that mean? It means learn to communicate. Communication is the number one issue that every divorced couple would have changed looking back. Communication is always the issue. Have you ever, have you been married long enough to recognize that what you're saying may not be what the other person is hearing? Yes or no? You are trying your best to say it well, and they cannot hear you. Man, what do you do in situations like that? Well, if you're really stuck, you have to go back to the beginning, to the basics, which is simply this. What did you hear me say? Literally, if, if when you say something, your partner turns red. If when you say something, they get mad. How many of you know when your spouse is mad? Believe it or not, I counseled a couple one time where the guy looked at me and said, man, I, I don't know when she's mad and when she's not. And I'm like, are you dead? Are you, what is, every person knows when your spouse is not happy. We know that. Okay, when you say something and your spouse gets upset, unless you're intentionally trying to make them mad, the issue is you're not communicating. So ask them, what did you just hear me say? Have them repeat back to you. When you hear what they heard, it will shock you. It will amaze you. Then you can reframe. You can say, I'm not trying to hurt you. That's not what I'm saying. Let me, does this make any sense? That's the basics. After you get past the basics, then it's just a matter of making quick adjustments. When you realize they're offended, you know, man, what I, I, know, I know what I did. The longer you're married, you should be quick at being able to identify, here's the problem, let's take care of it. Those three things, boost your spouse's mood, get over the past, reveal more about yourself. Okay, we learned two ways, mentors and mistakes. These were mistakes. This was Wall Street Journal advice. Here's the truth. I think there's some merit in these things right here. I think there's truth. Do you agree? There's truth in this. But let's go this way, because here's how to be mentored. So I put down below, here's where we're going to mentor from. The Bible, God wrote it from the beginning of time. He's the author of marriage, and he has an eternal perspective. Yes or no, that gives great credence to anything the Bible says about marriage. Yeah. I told the story about buying a snowblower and thinking that I understood everything there was to... I'm a man, I know machines. 
I was born knowing machines. I don't need any direct. It's a waste of a tree to put any direction in a box that I buy. Amen. So I won't. Amen. <laughs> so women hear that and they're just like, what an idiot. But every man in this room knows what I'm talking about. Yes or no? We don't need. Those directions are for the next guy that buys it from us. But we don't need it. I bought the snowblower. I filled it with gas. I waited for the first snowy day. I went out to start it. It's going to pull, 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 pull. Nothing. I mean, for 45 minutes, pulling, pulling. It would almost start. Well, it would sound like it would almost start. I pulled the spark plug out. I have to regap it. I know some of you are like, but I knew <laughs> what it was. I go buy a new spark plug. I do, I do, every, I change the oil on. I mean, I do everything to this thing. Finally, in desperation, I take it back. I'm mad at the guy I bought it from. You're selling <laughs> junk. The guy just graciously gives me another one. I bring it home. I pull it out of the box. I get it all set up. Pull, pull, pull. It will not start. Now I'm furious at Honda. Honda, what junk Honda? Somebody lied to me about Honda being quality and the top notch. Finally, through just sheer frustration and desperation, I asked the manufacturer of the product how to do it. And there was an on-off switch. <laughs> True story. A stupid on-off switch that was hidden. It was hidden. So that little boys and idiots couldn't find it. <laughs> I flipped the switch. I pull it one time. Fires right up, man. I was so mad. So mad. It was so unfair. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. You know, why do they make it so complicated? Why not just make it easy? Here was the deal. When it comes to marriage, I think that we tend to think, how about this? You have to study harder to get a driver's license than you do to get a marriage license. Yeah. Think about that. You are required to invest more in the minimal issues of life than you are with maybe the most important thing next to your salvation that you'll make a decision on. Let me say it this way. Think about this. If you're married, yes or no, it affects everything in your life. Everything. It affects your mood. It affects your finances. It affects your future. It affects your children and your children's children. It affects your relationship with God. Yes or no? It affects everything. God, how critical is it to know how to do it right then? The author of marriage, the manufacturer of the product, bothered to put the directions right here if we'll just read it. Of course, it's not enough to read it. You've got to do it too, don't you? You can't just know it. You've got to know it by doing it. Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes really direct words to husbands and wives. This is the context. It's husbands and wives. It's not men and women. That's important. You wouldn't apply this in church to men and women. You would apply this to husbands and wives. 
And further, submit to one another. Remember, this is husbands and wives. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Husbands, this means love your wives. And then here's the example. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. I'm going to throw this out and teach this in the most simplistic of terms so that you understand it. Remember, this is not mistakes. This is mentorship. This is the opportunity to learn it without having to pay the price. This is the opportunity to do it right. Here's what I will guarantee you. If you're married and you'll do these two things, your marriage can make it. If you don't do these two things, it doesn't matter how excited you are, your marriage won't make it. Katie and JJ. So you have the opportunity to come into it that if you did these things off the bat, off the bat, you practice these things. JJ, there's a cliche with practice that practice makes perfect. That's a lie. Practice makes permanent. If you practice the right things, you get the right return. You practice the wrong things, you get the wrong return. Practice makes permanent, not perfect. Kate, what you do from the very beginning sets precedent. When you begin to set precedent, the further you go, the harder it is to start a new precedent. So you want to start on the right path. Now, here's encouragement. The power of the gospel doesn't change our past. It alters our future. So even if we've done it wrong for a long period of time, if the Holy Spirit gets involved, everything can be brand new. God is a redeemer and can redeem. What's impossible with man is possible with God. Remember that. But I can tell you right now, if you want to do it easy, then do it the right way from the start. Let me just break down the scripture in three things. Number one, husbands, love your wife. The context of loving your wife, every man who gets married will say, I love her. What does that mean? We throw that word around in our society. It's a 50-cent word. I love my car. I love television. I love the Olympics. And I love my wife. Surely you don't love the Olympics in the same way you love your wife, right? Surely there's a, a difference. The words have to have a different meaning. When the Bible says to love your wife, it doesn't allow us to decide how we love her. It gives us the order. Love your wives like Christ loved the church. Sir, listen to me. I'll make it as simple as I possibly can for you. You cannot give what you do not have. The kind of love that God is talking about here is unconditional, supernatural, forever love. That's how he loves us. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. We didn't pick him, he picked us. We didn't pursue him, he pursued us, and we said yes to him. The relationship that we have with Christ is predicated on the fact that he pursues us. Yes or no? 
So then when we look at this analogy, love your wives like Christ loved the church, you're supposed to love her like Jesus loves you. And here's the point. If you are not experiencing the love of Christ in your relationship with him, how could you ever give to your wife that kind of relationship? So we'll read those things and we'll say those things and we go, oh, I got it. No, you don't because it's supernatural love. Listen, you can't go home and do this. That's the problem with this. No matter how dedicated, no matter how strong, no matter your self-will and determination, you can't go home and do this because it's supernatural and you're not supernatural. Supernatural, it's a love that comes from someplace else. So if we are not engaged this way, we can't give it this way. So I tell every man in this room, if you want to be a good husband, if it matters to you, if that's your goal, then don't go home with a book that says, here's the five things to do. Put her in a good mood. Forget. Those things are important to do as activities. Here's what you do. This thing, the preeminent issue, love God. And then you can love your wife. If you love him and you receive the love, you can now give something. The most simplistic way to understand is that we cannot give what we do not have. If you ask for money and I don't have it, it doesn't matter if it's in my heart to give it to you. I cannot give you what I do not have. Only if I possess it can I then give it. So therefore, if you're going to love your, if you want to be successful, please hear me right now. Then you must engage God this way on a regular basis. So that then when you go to do life, you have a point of reference for what this love is supposed to look like. Does that make sense? Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. The word submit is easily translated the word respect. I've used this before. I thought it was maybe one of the more interesting studies that was ever put together. It was on how men experience love. The question was asked, men and women, to women, would you rather be loved or respected? Women overwhelmingly responded, I would rather be loved. If I said to you, what would a man say? You'd say, ah, here's, here's, tell me this isn't it, gents. The men, for the most part, couldn't answer the question directly. Here's why. Listen, this, listen to this. A man can't separate respect from love. They're not two separate things. He experiences love from you when you respect him. So women will say, I will love him or respect him when he earns my respect. And I would submit to you that if you are trying to do that with your husband, all you have done in effect is pushed him further away from you. And you are thinking that by doing this, I will force him to stand up and become this person that I then am able to give my respect to. And I will say to you, he will never become that person. And in in fact, what you have done, you have pushed him, you have locked him out of the very place that he needs to develop in. You must respect him. When the Bible says to a husband, love your wife, 
If your husband said to you, I will love you when you earn my love, how many of you would say, that's a deal? You would get a two-by-four when he turns around. <laughs> How can you say to your husband then, I will respect you when you earn my respect if the way a man receives love is through respect? You're looking at me, do you get it? Yeah. How do I respect my husband? It can be in the easiest terms of just the way you talk to him or whether or not you listen to him. I have watched women, this has happened with me. I have had women come to my office with their husband and a question being asked and the woman shuts her husband up to hear what I have to say. That alone is a disrespectful issue. One time in the back of this church, I had a woman in front of her husband. I was teaching on marriage. I'm walking out. The woman stopped me. Her husband's standing right there. This is what she said. I wish he was a husband like you are a husband. My thought was, why don't I just hand you a knife and you go ahead and cut his heart out right now because that's what you've done spiritually. The guy didn't even, you know what the guy did? I'm sure in his head he thought, I don't like you, John. I'm sure, I'm sure it made him think, why in the world would I go to church to hear my wife say things like that to me? We're demanding you become the spiritual leader, but we never give place for the man to become the spiritual leader. Am I just talking over heads right now? I, boy. I told Dan when I wrote this, I could die. I could be so bold with this that people are so angry. I hope. I hope that it doesn't produce anger in you. If it produces the idea that it's got to change, good. If it produces the idea that what we're doing is right and we just need to reinforce that, good. But regardless, here's what I want for you. I believe God wants to change the season of your life, including your marriage in particular, and that it begins when we move into the season of doing it His way. The last one, and just simply, it's perfect for time. Love your wife, respect your husband. The Bible tells us the very first sentence, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Put your spouse first. Wives, put your husbands first. Husbands, put your wives first. Let me just ask the question. If we spend our time trying to put the other person first, how much time would be left for fighting? None. Wake up every day. Put shoes To your desires. Put your spouse first. I, here is Chris. I know it puts pressure on you. I know that when I do this, it, um, it uses us as the example, but we, we're the example to our church. I know that you're compelled to have to agree with me because of the awkwardness of if you disagree with me right now, it would be <laughs> terrible. <laughs> but it's, it's the truth. It's my, my words to my wife at this point in our lives and have been for the past several years now, my number one goal 
is to make sure that my wife is blessed. It is my goal. It is my goal to make sure that she is happy. Boy, there's a term that means a lot of things. It is my goal that I lay down my life and make sure that she is taken care of. What Chris wants, Chris gets. And there are some husbands who, because of the relationship that they're in right now, they couldn't even imagine saying or feeling that way. We have been there. Our marriage is only here because of the grace of God. There was a time that we had separated. There was a time when things were as bad as they could be. But God is redemptive. And when you do it His way, He puts all things, all things together. He makes all things work for good to them that know and love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. And I know that's difficult when we share things like that. It makes us so vulnerable. But the truth is, it's not like that anymore. In fact, I can't even remember what it was like. It's been so long. It's my whole desire that this woman is blessed and taken care of, and I live my life to bless my wife. I believe that by doing that, I'm honoring the Lord. I'm blessing the Lord. Does that make any sense? Boy, what would I say just in closing that in prayer? I guess, I guess what I would say is I want to pray for that season. I want to pray for that new season, that prophetic word to come into your life. But I also want to pray this. If while I'm teaching this, you're just like, God, it's, it seems impossible. I mean, I, not that you would disagree with it or not that you wouldn't want it. You probably sit here going, that's, that's, I want that so desperately in my marriage. I want it to be like that. That's where we have to ask God, come in. We submit to you. We'll do it your way. We'll honor you. We'll, we say yes to you. Help us get unstuck. Is that, is that it? So let's do that. Would you just put your hand on your heart and allow me the opportunity just to facilitate something for God? Every campus pastor, every campus, Lakewood folks, Castle Rock, Highlands Ranch, Lone Tree, even if you listen to this and you're all by yourself someplace, would you just put your hand on your heart? All of our campus pastors, you feel free to minister any way you want to. I'll just pray this prayer. Father, we want to make our hearts wide open to you. First and foremost, Lord, is this thought and this prayer. God, we want to so engage with you that we experience every day your love, your unconditional mercy and your grace. We want to experience, Father God, the renewing power of your love. Whether we're married or whether we're not, every person in the jurisdiction of my voice right now receive his love receive his grace and receive his mercy. I pray specifically for every married person in this room. The Bible says that we're becoming one flesh, so I can't pray this prayer for just husbands and leave a wife out or for just a wife and leave a husband out. When I pray it, I've got to pray a oneness. I pray, if you're sitting next to your spouse, would you just hold their hand real quick? Just grab their hand. I pray for every marriage here and the oneness that God has called it to. Husbands, here's what I pray, that you would understand the kind of love 
that the Bible is talking about when it tells a husband to love his wife. I want to pray that you will experience the great love of God so that you have a reference point for how to love your wife. I want to pray that you would begin right now to open your mind, open your heart, and that you would say yes to the pursuit of God in your life. I pray that you'll experience him as never before. I don't care if you're young. I don't care if you're old. I don't care where you are. I pray right now every husband in this room would begin to receive in a new season the love of God. I pray for every wife that as you respond to that love, as you step into this relationship in a greater depth, in a new season. Lady, listen to me. I want to pray right now, God would renew your hope and your desire to try harder. I want to pray that God would open your heart to your husband, that God would open your heart again to believe that when the Holy Spirit is involved, you can trust, you can, you can be free, you can believe, you don't have to close yourself off and be distant anymore. Your husband can be exactly the desire that God put in your heart. I pray that the Holy Spirit would help you to show him love by respecting and submitting to him as your husband, as the one that God picked for you. I pray for every marriage in Again, the jurisdiction of my voice that as you hear this, I pray protection for your marriage and blessing over your marriage. I pray the life of God over you. I pray that the Lord would help you. As you unsort and unpack this message, if you need help, I pray that you would be brave enough to ask for it. I pray if you just found yourself sort of stuck to the side, that this marriage would jolt you forward. That the two of you would go home today and say to each other, let's do it. Wives, pray for your husband. Encourage him by praying for him. Sir, begin right now. Pursue God. Husbands, pray for your wife. Pray that her heart would be open. Pray that you would have the words. Pray that God would show you how to for your wife. And both of you begin to prefer the other one. Watch what the Holy Spirit would do. I pronounce a new season of life over the marriages of this church. I pray it, and I bind it to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. The rest of our time then we'll just spend in a connection with God and in giving Him it. And our campus pastors, you're able to direct your campuses now in the way that you feel best. Amen. All right, let's give the Lord a hand today.